to all of our friends who are here with us. We want to say thank you again for being with us and let you know you are welcome uh, to, 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 you are welcome here at the Bridge Church. Our mission is simply we want to develop fully devoted followers of Christ in a multi-ethnic context. And we are leaning and depending on our Heavenly Father uh, as we fulfill that mission. If you would be so kind uh, to fill out this bridge card, hopefully you received one, that we just simply want to uh, say thank you for being here. We want to know your name, and, uh, and so we want to bless you in a tangible way uh, for being here. So thank you uh, again for being here. So we are in a study now. Um, we are in a sermon series called Multiply, and it's a study through the book of Acts. And for the last three weeks or so, we've been dealing with this one story and the implications of this story. In Acts chapter 3, there was this lame man who was sitting at the gate called Beautiful. And, and, and he was laid there at the gate daily. And, and one day, Peter and John, they were on their way to the temple at the hour of prayer, and they looked that they and this lame man looked at one another. This lame man was expecting alms from them, and, and, and Peter and John said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee, that's KJV, King James Version, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And, and, and this man, he rose yeah, and, and can you just see him there? He's never walked before, and he's there. He's not sure what's going to happen, but then there's strength in his ankles, strength in his calves, strength in his knees, and, and, and he can feel something that he's never felt before. And the, instead of walking, the, the dude starts leaping. And I'm not going to start running around here like Pastor Josh did last week. I'm not in shape like him. But this man is leaping, and he's running and praising God. And they see now, the, the crowd, they see this man that they've passed by for at least 40 years. And they see, they, they, they see this man, they see this miracle. They're trying to figure out what's happened. And Peter say, it's not because of us, it's not because of our power, it's not because of our godliness, but it's all because of Jesus. It was by the name of Jesus that this man now stands running and leaping and praising God. And so now, they, 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 they see for the first time opposition to this new movement called Christianity. There's this opposition now. And they, they put Peter and John in jail, and they say, Peter and John, we don't want you to say anything. Don't speak anymore in the name of Jesus. And Peter and John says, whether it's right to Obey you or obey God, you be the judge, but that's for us. We cannot help but speak of what, what we have seen and, and heard. And when I preached that text before, I said they had a case that can't help us. And there ought to be some witnesses in here that when God has done something for you, when he, he's made a miracle in your life, you ought to get a case that can't help us. You can't help but lift your hands and give God praise for what he's done. And, and so, 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 so they say, you be the judge, we're going to obey God. And so this, there's this godly civil disobedience. And so now, they, 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 they've been doing that. They're in jail. 
the Sanhedrin, they, they, this Sanhedrin council, they're like, okay, y'all, we, they're deliberately disobeying us. However, there's this man who's been crippled from birth. What are we going to do? So they chastise them, and they say, just don't speak anymore in the name of Jesus, and they let him go. And that's where we pick up this morning in Acts chapter 4. Go with, there with me. We'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Acts chapter 4, we'll go to verse 23. If you need a physical copy of the Word of God, there's a few on the table back there at our hospitality table. Please take it. Acts chapter 4, verse 23. Acts chapter 4, verse 23, and here is what thus says the Word of the Lord. When they were released, they went to their friend's and reported that the chief priests and what the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why do the Gentiles rage and, and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. Verse 27, for truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So now they are they're facing opposition. They, they are literally being persecuted for being a follower of Jesus Christ, for being a proclaimer of the good news. And, and what the, this text helps us to see is how they responded to this persecution. And how they simply responded to persecution was to pray their way through the persecution. So that's simply what I want us to look at today, is praying through persecution. And, and, and messages like this can be a challenge to preach in these United States of America, where we have the freedom to express our religion. We have the freedom of religion. And so we don't see persecution like the early church saw it, like our brothers and sisters over in China see it and, and India and all these different, uh, and in these Middle Eastern countries where, where Christians are actually being persecuted. But church, here's why you need to listen to this sermon. Because even in these United States of America, I'm convinced that sometime in the future persecution will come. And so as a church, we need to be proactive uh, in preparing ourselves when persecution comes. And so the way the early church responds 
to persecution is, first of all, they respond to persecution by trusting in the sovereignty of God. That's my first point this morning. They respond to persecution by trusting in the sovereignty of God. They, they get together with their brothers and sisters, and it says they lift their voices together, and they, they, they address God in this manner, Sovereign Lord. That, that word sovereign, despotes in the Greek, it means master, owner. It, it, it is one who rules and reigns over all. It, it refers to one who has absolute dominion. It, it is one who has authority over subjects. The, the, the way the early church approaches their persecution is they first think through it theologically rather than philosophically or logically. They respond to persecution by simply resting in the sovereignty of God. Here's what the sovereignty of God means. The sovereignty of God means that God is absolutely in control. The sovereignty of God means that his hand is over everything that happens in the universe. Ephesians 1 uh, uh, and verse 11 says that God works all things according to his plan. He, there, there is absolutely nothing, church, that God doesn't have his hand upon. And here's how they know that God is sovereign. Because after they say sovereign Lord, they immediately go to his first act as God, which was creation. Yeah. They, they realize that God is sovereign because he has created all things visible and invisible. The text says, to the, he who created the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Church, it is God's position as creator that allows him to function as master and ruler over his creation. And church, since God is sovereign, they know that God is sovereign. They say, we're going to make our appeal to the highest supreme court there is in heaven. That's why they said earlier that, it's rather, that we'd rather obey God rather than man. And church, here's what the sovereignty of God means for us. The sovereignty of God means that we ought to get some sleep at night. Okay. The sovereignty of God means we ought to live a life full of peace and comfort. Because God is in control. I know that God, even the bad stuff, the worst things that happen in life, because I'm his child, he's going to use that evil thing to bring good out of it. The Bible says in Romans 8 and 28 that God causes all things to work together for the good of them that love the Lord and are called according to his purposes. That's what God does. And so the sovereignty of God means even in the midst of persecution, we can still have peace. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Now, that verse, just so you know, that verse says God causes all things to work together for the good. It never says that all things will be good. I'm in here by myself, but that's all right. They won't always be good, church, but God in his sovereign ways causes them to work together for our good. Church, we, we don't respond to trials, tribulations, and persecution with despair saying, why me? But we respond saying, God, I'm trusting in your sovereignty. I'm going to rest in your sovereignty. I'm not going to worry. I'm not going to stress. I'm just going to rest 
God is so much in control, church, that he wasn't caught off guard by cavalry. The text says that God spoke through Scripture in the Old Testament. God knew that the Gentiles would rage and plot against his anointed one. God knew that the kings and the rulers of the earth would stand against his anointed one. And everything that happened to God's only son was a part of God's predetermined plan and purpose. I think, I think it would do us some good, church, just to take some time and to just reflect, remember, and think about, meditate on the great lengths that God has gone to to save our souls. From way, way back in eternity past, God had a predetermined plan to save your soul. Not because you were worthy, not because you deserved it, not based on your works, not based on your merit, but all out of his goodness and his own good pleasure, he said, I'm going to send my own son to die in your place, to die your death. And if you're here today and you are not yet trusting in Christ, I think this is a mighty good day, a mighty good time for you to commit and surrender your life to Jesus Christ. He has gone to extraordinary lengths just for you. And, and if you are here today and you're saved, there's a word for you today. Maybe you need to rededicate and recommit your life to Christ. For many of us, for way too many of us here, we've got our Christian journey, we've now put it on cruise control. We're just going through the motions. And after what God has done for us, we ought to think through that, meditate on that, and say, for God I live and for God I die. I just wonder, if this were us, small group question this week, if this were us, how would we have responded to this persecution? When this is us, how will we respond to this persecution? Look, look at how they respond. They respond first by praying and resting in the sovereignty of God. But secondly, they respond to persecution by praying for God to give his attention to their opposition. They respond to persecution by praying for God to give his attention to the opposition. Look at verse 29. The first part says, and now, Lord, look upon their threats. That's all they have to say about their enemies. God simply look upon their threats. Now, can I just be transparent for a moment? If this were me, I would say, God, go get them. Get them, Jesus. Man, I, I knock them out real good, Lord. They messing with me. And I would have tried to make God feel good because you know I'm your child. So go get them, Lord. But they simply say, look upon their threats. Like if they don't pray for a church, they don't pray for God to take away their persecution. It's not in there. They don't even pray for God to protect them in the midst of their persecution. Ooh, let me make a whole bunch of y'all mad at me. They don't even pray for God to put a new Caesar in the White House. I mean, in, in the Roman. 
place. They don't pray for God to put somebody in office that's pro-religion. They simply say, God, just give your attention to it. They pray for God to be just as he is. They appeal to the justice of God. They simply pray for God to deal with their enemies. I think there's something for us to learn from that church. They don't run from the persecution. They don't try to dodge the persecution. They don't go underground. They know that persecution comes with being a follower of Jesus Christ. Y'all, I did not make this up. Jesus said it himself. John chapter 15, verse 20, he, Jesus told his disciples, he said, A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. I wonder how we would have prayed in this situation. I already told you how I would. They simply say, God, our enemies is your problem. Moving on. Point number three. After they, after they ask for God to look upon their threats, they say, now God, give us boldness to speak the word. Messed me up. It messed me up. We already been put in prison for what we have spoken, what we've said, what we've proclaimed, and Lord, give us boldness to say it even more. Their request in the midst of persecution is say, God, give us boldness to keep going. Give us the audacity to persevere through our persecution. Their prayer is simply for courage. Their, their prayer is for them not to cower in the midst of opposition. That word boldness is used for one who speaks openly and publicly. Think about this church. They already got in trouble for, for, for proclaiming the gospel. And now they're saying, God, give us motives to go even more public with our witness. They're saying, we're not going to go underground. We want to stand directly in the public square and proclaim the gospel. This Prayer is both admirable, admirable on one hand and convicting on the other one. You, we all know why it's admirable that you, they're in the midst of persecution and they're praying for boldness, continue to do it. We admire that. And, and, and I pray that, 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 that when we are in those situations that we would model that, that we would repeat those things. But on the other hand, it's convicting because sometimes I don't want to uh, uh, witness because I'm scared what somebody else is going to think about me. Some of us, we won't share the gospel because we're afraid of losing a friendship. Some of us, we won't even share the gospel because we don't want people to think we're weird. Church, I've only got one point of application for this, for this part of the sermon. If that's us, and that is, I'm guilty of that, we need to repent. There's no other way around this. We, we have been commanded to make disciples, to be witnesses. 
throughout the world, around the globe. Here this church is being imprisoned. Later on, we're going to see them being beaten because they are on mission for Christ. And we don't want hurt feelings. Convicting. And the only thing we need to do is repent of this and go be witnesses, church. These people say we just want to be Lord, help us to be bold because that's what you've called us to do. And because you've called us and commanded us to do it, we want to be faithful to that. But we can't do it unless you give us the boldness. And here how God answers his prayer, their prayer for that boldness. How do we know that, that God answers their prayer? Because it says they are filled with the Holy Spirit. And as I've told you time and time again, being filled with the Holy Spirit is not just for speaking in tongues. It's not just for jumping over benches or, or chairs in here. It's not just for taking laps and all that kind of charismatic chaos. It, 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 the filling with the Spirit is to, to fulfill the command to be witnesses. And so my prayer for the Bridge Church today is for us to be bold. To stand flat-footed and live for Jesus. To stand flat-footed and declare the good news in a bad news culture. That's my prayer for the bridge is for us to, to be bold. We need to be bold in how we pray. Our prayers are way too safe these days. As if we're going to give God a bad reputation if he doesn't answer the prayer. Pray boldly, church. Witness boldly. Be faithful. God will give us the fruitfulness. Bold. And how we live. Yeah, we're going to live counterculturally and people are going to think we're crazy and, and holy rollers. Be bold. So, the one way we can apply this, this sermon corporately is to just start being bold in our prayer. And so today I've asked three different individuals to come and help us, help me this morning to pray so that we can be bold. There's three specific areas that um, I want us to pray for this morning. He didn't respond to my request, but Aaron Fisher is going to come and now lead us in a bold prayer for us to be bold in our witness.